Welcome to uh, the Gospel in Your Work Conference. I'm glad you're here with us. Uh, hopefully on the way in you got a conference sheet. I made a cool paper with a thing with an arrow that, that shows you where it was on the credenza, um, which is really just a dresser, right? Is it? It's just a dresser. It's just a place you would put clothes if you had it in your home. Um, dish, is that what it is? It's a hutch? And is, that, and is that a credenza? Is that actually what, the, what a credenza is for? I've been, I, I did not, my knowledge of home furnishings. We don't keep dishes in there. Occasionally the lost and found does include a cup. So if you ever if you miss a cup, it, it, might, it might be in there in the thing. Okay, welcome. Welcome to the conference. Uh, this is a conference on work. Um, and a lot of conferences have to justify their existence. You know, they have to sort of explain to you why uh, you should show up and why you should care about that particular topic. Uh, luckily, conferences on work aren't one of those because everyone spends the vast majority of their life working. And so you're already, you already have a vested interest in, in the topic. You're already kind of nestled in uh, to the idea of work as a major part of your life. And everyone, therefore, you know, because you know, you're so involved in work, has struggles and questions and you need to do kind of a lot less justifying to say, we're doing a conference on work. Everyone's sort of ready uh, to understand why there's value in that. Um, and yet, you know, for all the interest I think most people have in work uh, and all the experience and struggles and questions and kind of the way it overshadows so much of, of our life, I mean, it really is where we spend most of our time and most of our energy and uh, most of our attention. There's actually, you know, it's, it's not common for churches to spend a lot of time on work. Um, every Christian should feel like they understand how their faith fits into their work and how their work fits into their faith. Uh, and yet that's not always people's experience. And, and so that's why we do this kind of conference in particular somewhat regularly. This is like our fourth vocation conference uh, because the idea is that the conferences and you being here, you, this, the whole church isn't here, but you're here. And the idea is that a conference like this, oh, it's true of all of our conferences, it's definitely true of this one, Conferences spill over into conversations with people around the church. And so because you're here, you become those who this, this equipping, this content, this way of understanding work spills over into the lives of others in the church. It's a way of, of the whole church, therefore, being equipped, even those who can't be here and those who might not listen to the few things we get recorded today. It's a chance for us to grow as a church together by your presence here today. So we're, we're glad you're here. So let's talk about it. How does your faith fit into your work, and how does your work fit into your faith? Well, you know, every job is different, every person is different, and that means that every answer, in some ways, is gonna be different. It's gonna be detailed to your specific situation, your specific temperament, your specific job struggles. That's why we have the breakout sessions. Those are tailored to get people with wisdom in the church the chance to do more specific kind of equipping, specific uh, content intersecting with the particular jobs you have, maybe the struggles that you have. And so you can look at the, the breakout session list here for more of that. But, you know, there, there are general answers. There's a, a general answer to how your faith fits into your work and how your work fits into your faith that all those other specific answers flow out from. There's a foundation, there's a source from which everything we do after this is gonna get its, its, its foundation from, you know. And so, you're, you know, you're never gonna have a solid practical answer for your own, for yourself, of how your work fits into your faith and your faith fits into your work if you don't have this general answer. So what is it? Well, three ingredients. 
three ingredients you need to have this, this general answer, and we'll go through them. It's the value of work, the struggle of work, and the hope of work. That's what we'll do. It's, a, it's kind of a jaunt through the Bible in some ways, uh, but it's, it's what you need. If you don't have this, the rest of it won't make sense. If you have this, you have the potential to have a really thorough, really well-developed answer for yourself as to how your work and your faith go together. So first, you know, the value of work. So the problem for a lot of us is not so much that you haven't heard anything about work at church. The problem is that what you have heard always feels kind of one-sided or incomplete. So there are ideas that float around about Christianity and works. For example, work is about making a living so you can do what you're really called to do, like participate in church life and volunteer a bunch of the church. Uh, or work is about making a lot of money so you can give a lot of money to mission work or to the church. Or work is about being really, really good at what you do so someone will ask you about why you're good at what you do and you can tell them it's Jesus. You know, or work is about you know, seeing God help you through your stress. It, it, it's a conduit for you putting your eyes on him. Or work is about you, know, you leaving very subtle hints to your coworkers that you're a moral person and go to church on Sundays. What'd you do last weekend? So you can start like very impromptu evangelistic conversations. Now, which is frankly sort of like saying, you know, you should put a fish on your car and let people cut in front of you so they can know what Christianity's like. At some level, the reason these answers feel one-sided and incomplete is that none of them see work as having value in itself. All the answers are saying work is a means to something else that has value. It unlocks the door to something else that has value, but it has no value itself as work. And yet the Bible says the opposite. You know, the Bible says that work has value in itself. And if you need proof, you can look to the fact that the first time work shows up in the Bible, God's the one who's doing it. So I need to read, this is Genesis 2.2. On the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. God sets the precedent for work. And the precedent that's set is not work as a necessary evil. God doesn't have to jump through hoops to get to something he wants. Work is something that has value in itself simply because he did it. And immediately when he's done doing valuable work in scripture, he invites us to do valuable work. In Genesis 1.28, he tells the first man and woman, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Now you say, well, the word work isn't in there. Oh, but it is. Because the way that God was working, all the ways, that he, the things he did that were described as work were filling and subduing and ordering and creating. It was, it was all work. And he gives those exact same things to humankind to do. We're called to take our own small part in the valuable work that God had started. And so here's the lesson. There are all different kinds of work and all of them have value. There are all different kinds of work. You know, work therefore, if this is what work is, if God shows us work and that's what he invites us into, that means that work is not only something that you do if you get a salary for it. Work is wherever you put most of your energy, filling and subduing and creating and bringing order and, and, and exerting yourself in the world during the week. So any way you contribute to being human beings, fruitfulness and multiplication and subduing the earth is work. So you gotta be very careful asking people if they work. Everyone works. 
because there's all different kinds of work. You know, to be a student is to work. To be an architect is to work. To be a line cook is to work. To be a stay-at-home parent is to work. Like, it's, it's, it's all work. So there are all different kinds of work, and all of those different kinds of work have value. You know, work isn't just for money, so you can focus on family or spiritual things or leisure or whatever. Work is, isn't just a way to find people to evangelize. Work is a created good, and it's built into who you are as a human being. You're created to work, to put your energy and your effort towards something during the week. And where do you, so the work has value. There's all different kinds of work, and work has value. Where do you find that value? Wait, let me give you at least two ways that you can see how to find that value. One, you know, we, I gotta be, I gotta be brief. When you are li- when you are working, you are living out God's design for you in making you a human being. You're creating, you're cultivating, and in so doing, there's value in the work itself. Eric Liddell, the, the runner, famous line. Remember, he said, "God made me fast, and when I run, I feel His pleasure." Have you ever run? It's awful. <laughs> it's awful. It's horrible. Yeah. But you know, and it's, it's not like Eric Liddell, when he ran, it took no exertion. He was, he was just, you know, it, was, it was as though he was sitting. No, it, it was difficult for him to do this. But God made, made him, he says, to run. And that gave his running value to the degree that he could feel God's pleasure in it. Well, work is something you are created to do, even when it's a struggle. And that gives your work value to the degree that it is possible for you to feel God's pleasure in it. Work has value because it's how you're built. You're living out your design. But it also has value because it's a means of you loving others in the world. And this, you, if you've heard me talk about work, you've heard me talk about this. Martin Luther read Psalm 145, where it talks about God giving food to all things, basically satisfying the desires of all things on the earth. And he says, you know, how, do, how does God give food you know, to, to human beings. He says, well, you know, there's the farmer who grows it in the ground, but there's the person who transports the food, and there's the grocer who has to put the food out and sell it. There are all these links in a chain, and all those links in a chain are a way of God providing for human beings. And in that same way, you know, your work is a link in a chain for God providing for human beings. Maybe not food, but some kind of good. Almost always, and we'll talk more about this in the, uh, my, my session if you want to hear more about the complexities here, but at the end of the day, there are ways your job provides a service to others. So maintaining a household for the raising of kids, managing a team that provides a service to people, producing, producing a show that gives parents and kids a way to bond and, and, and a, time to, a way to enjoy time together. Those are all ways your work provides for people, and no one does the whole thing. Almost always, someone's a piece of that chain. And if you're in here, you can trace that out for yourself. You're a piece in a chain. Work has value because it contributes to the way that God provides for people, that God cares for people. There's beauty, there's value in that. Now, if work has that kind of value, we gotta take it seriously. Dorothy Sayers said, you know, the church's approach to an intelligent carpenter is usually confined to exhorting him not to be drunk and disorderly in his leisure hours and to come to church on Sundays. What the church should be telling him is this, that the very first demand that his religion makes upon him is that he should make good tables. If your work has value, then the things you do at your work need to be taken seriously as valuable things, as a calling from God. There's no line between important spiritual work and then other unimportant, unspiritual work. All work has value. 
All work has value. So that's the first, and you have to understand that. All work has value. That's ingredient one. Now here's ingredient two, the struggle of work. Now, you know, most people aren't here because you, you see the value of your work, and you just want to know how to just squeeze a little more joy out of that value. Most people come to a conference on work because there's struggle. And the value of work, therefore, is usually drowned out by the struggle of work. So if you don't respect that, you're not going to have an answer either. So let's talk about the struggle of work. You know, Genesis 3 tells us why work is a struggle in the kind of archetypal sense in the very beginning, where God is, after sin, handing out curses. And he says in verse 17 of chapter 3, Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread. So before, there weren't thorns and thistles. Now, there are thorns and thistles. So work isn't a curse itself. It has value. But like everything else, now it sits under the curse. And therefore, you know, in Genesis 3, you know, work is tied up in gardening. So it's thorns and thistles, you see. But, but gardening no, is no longer just, you know, or uh, work is no longer just gardening. You know, work now is a, a, a lot broader than that. That was always what it was intended to be. So what are thorns and thistles now? What that means is that work will always fall short of what you know it could be and what you wish it would be. Always. There will always be thorns and thistles cropping up. It will still bear fruit, but there will always be thorns and thistles to wade through. There will be thorns and thistles outside. Conflict among coworkers. Uh, if you work in an office, there are office politics. There's bad leadership. There's you know, lazy employees. There's unethical practices baked into the system, you know, that, that are looked at as normal. There are your computer problems. <laughs> There's, internet goes out. You know, like, there are professors who don't care if you learn. There are you know, kids who find new and novel ways to destroy your home. Whatever, wherever you go, there are thorns and thistles outside of you that keep work from flourishing the way that it could and the way you wish it would. But there are also thorns and thistles inside. In other words, Work isn't just difficult for us. Now we're difficult for work. And, and work becomes therefore tied up, you know, in our sin and our brokenness. Now, uh, he, uh, former CFO of Lehman Brothers, here's his story with work. He says, I, I didn't start out with the goal of devoting all of myself to my job. It crept in over time. Each year that went by, slight modifications became the new normal. First, I spent a half hour on Sunday organizing my email to-do list and calendar. That made Monday morning easier. Then I was working a few hours on Sunday, and then all day. My boundaries slipped away until work was all that was left. Now, at, you know, Lehman Brothers didn't do so well after he wrote this, or before he wrote this, and he was reflecting on that in, in the writing of it, and he said, inevitably, when I left my job, it devastated me. I couldn't just rally and move on. I didn't know how to value who I was versus what I did. What I did was who I was. This is the, one of the main ways that you have thorns and thistles inside, where you're a problem for work, is you, you make work into an idol, essentially. You know, work's an idol when it gives you, your work gives you a home, it gives you an identity, it gives you a sense of worth. It's an index of your worth as a person. It's an index of your success as a person, not just as an employee, but as a person. And that's why when work is an idol, it usually becomes kind of a destructive force in other things in your life. You know, your relationships, uh, your family, whatever. When work is unhappy, you lose who you are. And so, you know, work then leads to burnout and a lot of stress and the occasional fix of happiness and accomplishment, or 
is the only place you ever feel happy. And everything else is just a means to get more success at work. You know, you know it, it slowly takes you from everything else in your life. That's one way that you become a problem for work, that the thorns and thistles are inside of you. And we won't talk now for the sake of time, but there are ways that that makes you a bad worker. It makes you bad for your job. It makes you bad for the things you're called to do. It, it robs the value of your work when you make it this. There is, however, another option that's not making your work into uh, an idol that you sort of worship, and that's work becoming an inconvenience because it takes you away from some other idol you have. The other option is you hate working because it takes away from the thing that really is the index of your success in life. So you know, if you hate your work, in other words, if you can find no value in it, just no joy in it, and you're here going, help me find some, well, there's a chance, no guarantee, but there's a chance that you're actually serving another idol. It could be anything from anything to like, from a hobby to a relationship, such that work is a necessary evil that you have to do just to, just to eat food and stay alive so you can serve this other thing. Either way, whether it's an idle or inconvenience, you have no ability to work as God intended because work is caught up in idolatry. You, you, can't, you can't value work. You're not free to do that the way you're supposed to because work is either a god or a demon. And you can never value something that way. So there's a way we tend to find ourselves stuck, and I think most people can relate to this experience, whatever your work is, of bouncing back and forth between viewing work as something that is an index of you as a person and something that you have to, you have to get away from so something else can be your index as a person. You know, your job becomes an identity. People come to church saying things like this. You know, my job was my identity and then everything fell out from underneath me and now I don't know who I am. So what I'm gonna do now is I'm gonna focus on relationships. I'm gonna focus on family. I'm gonna focus on this. In one sense, maybe that's healthy adjustment but in another sense, and I think we've all, we can all understand how this could, could happen, that could be just idle swapping. You know, this one thing didn't work as an index of my, my worth and significance as a person, so I gotta find something else. It's not that, now it's this. And so you move back and forth and back and forth, and, you know, until eventually maybe you start thinking work could be that index again. So that siren song calls you back, and we bounce back and forth and back and forth. The struggle of work, you know, it, it, it makes it so that it's very difficult for us to see the value. And it's very easy for us to over or undersell the value of work and what, how it relates to us as, as people. There's a lot more we could say here. Um, a lot of jobs encourage you to make them your idol. That's why they give you breakfast, you know, and like do, you do your dry cleaning for you or whatever. I mean, it's just all this stuff. They encourage that. It let your life rotate around this job and they want to help that happen. There are ways that our entire life structure, uh, uh, the structure of life in West Los Angeles and other places in America is set up to make this very difficult. And there's ways that we could talk about how it happens in the whole system of work here makes this a struggle and, and, and has thorns and thistles in it. But the problem with work ultimately is that it takes place in a fallen world with fallen people. If you don't understand that, then you're always gonna be kind of naive about why work is a struggle or is making you so elated in your life. You have to understand the struggle of work if you're ever gonna to get to the value and the joy. So there's ingredient two. You got value, you have struggle, and then last, the hope for work. You know, when you see the struggle of work, we tend to immediately fixate on circumstances and say, let's just change those and it will go away. And so we're gonna avoid an annoying coworker. You know, less bathroom trips or take a different route in the office to the bathroom so that you get one thorn and thistle dealt with. 
you know, we're going to get transferred to a different department. We're going to switch jobs, switch careers. We're going to switch majors. We're going to get a new productivity system and really get the to-do list dialed in, you know, so we can really get this thing done. I'm going to, once I get my, all my syllabi in, you know, for, the, for this semester, I'm going to put everything where it belongs, and that's finally going to deal with the struggles of work. Well, you know, there's upsides to all of those things. There's just practical wisdom in all of that. But the problem isn't all outside of you. It's not all taming thorns and thistles outside of you. It's also the ones inside of you. The main problem is inside you. So the, the main place you're going to source hope for work is not adjusting your circumstances, as helpful as that can be, and as genuine, uh, genuinely valuable as it can be to tame thorns and thistles as you try and see the value in your work come to pass. But one of the main things we have to do is to change, see change inside of us. And so Colossians 3, here's verse 23. It's talking to bond servants. It says, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord, you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. Now, look, there are a lot of differences between being a servant then and being an employee now. But Paul still treats what they do as work. He calls it work. And he honors them and what they do by giving them instructions on how to do it. And of course, you know, if they're to understand their work this way, how much more should we? How much more hope should we find in our work? At the very center is in, in, uh, when it says, whatever you do, work heartily. Notice the change Paul, Paul's talking about for these people and for us is not about changing what you do, though of course you can if you want to. The real hope for work is about changing what's happening inside of you not what's happening outside of you, not what you do outside of you, what you do inside of you. So, you know, in other words, you have to working heartily, and we'll talk about this in my session a little more. Um, working hard, literally that means working from the soul. Heartily means from the person, from the soul. And the struggles of work are always gearing you to either work for your soul or work against your soul. If you make work an idol, it's always calling you to say, if you do this, if you do that, if you succeed here, you're, you're going to have your soul. Finally, you'll have it the way you want it. You're working for your soul. If you're idle somewhere else and work is constantly getting in the way, then work is, you're, every time you're at work, you're working against your soul. Your soul should be somewhere else doing other things. How do you work from your soul? You have your soul. How do you work from it? Something about knowing you're serving the Lord, Paul says, allows you to work from your soul. And what he means is this, you know, ultimately, your boss isn't your boss. Ultimately, your professor isn't your boss. Ultimately, your, your shareholders or your performance review or your own self-evaluation of how you're doing at work is not your boss. Above your boss, above your goals, above your customer reviews is, is your Lord. He says, you are serving the Lord Christ. Now, how does that change things? How does that give you hope? How does that change who you are on the inside? How does it let you work from your soul? Here's why. Because in every other situation, Every other person you serve, you do more work than they do. That's the definition, essentially, of, of being a boss. Like, you always work more for your boss than your boss works for you. Your boss might work more for their boss, but you always work more for your boss than your boss works for you. But not the Lord Jesus. We tend to get so wrapped up in the work we are doing that we almost never think about the work, the work that Christ did for us. We don't see how his work applies, how it transforms the work that we do. John 17, 4, Jesus is praying to the Father. He says, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work 
that you gave me to do. He's talking about his life and his death and his resurrection. He was given work to do, and he gave himself completely to it. And that work was to create forgiveness and reconnection with the God who made us for you and for me. The work put in front of Jesus Christ was to suffer, was to face judgment, was to, was to humble himself and be humiliated and take our place and die in our... That was his work. And then to be raised up to glory and draw us with him eternally into the love of the Father. That was the work he was given to do. The thorns and thistles in our hearts put thorns and thistles on his head. He had work to do, and his work was difficult. It was a struggle, but it was eminently valuable. And when that work was finished, you and I, if you trusted him, there's, there's complete and abject forgiveness. There is total safety and security. You have your soul secure in Jesus Christ. And if your soul is secure in him, you will never actually have to work for it or against it ever again. You can work from your soul. He's the one you're working for. This is a, this is a very positive work environment when the one you are serving is the one who died for you. I mean, this is a very, a very positive work culture. And at some level, you know, look, the inheritance you're given, it says, you know, so that you'll be given the inheritance in Colossians. You know, that's not determined by your work, it's determined by his work. What's your work going to give you that his work won't give you, you know? What's it going to take from you that his work can't hold on to for you? Our problem is that the thorns and thistles outside make us look at work as an inconvenience, the thorns and thistles inside make us look at work as an idol. The gospel lets you endure the thorns and thistles without rejecting your work and see the value of work without turning it into an idol. You're freed up to actually work from your soul. And there's it, it, massive practical hope from your work if you understand that. Not just hope for your life, because that's a lot of hope for your life, but hope for your work. And let me just spend three minutes giving you, two minutes, giving you uh, a few examples before we go into these breakout sessions. One, if, if, if you really are working from your soul, if you understand the gospel and its relationship to your work, work will, for you, inevitably occupy its proper place. It'll settle down into where it belongs. People talk about work-life balance. They have almost no way to get there without feeling like they're failing at something. Work-life balance is always uh, uh, settling. <laughs> it's, 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 always, it's never what you want. You're either letting down work or letting down friends and family and almost always letting yourself down because you, you aren't, somehow you haven't managed to simultaneously have it all and not do too much. You're, you, you're, just, you're a failure everywhere you look and that's balance. But the gospel gives you a lot more hope. You can be the kind of person who applies yourself at work because you care about it. You see value in it while also being able to clock out at the end of the day with peace. It can slot down into where it belongs. That's one. It can occupy its proper place. Here's another one. If you understand this hope for your work, it means that you can be the kind of person where success at work doesn't overinflate you and failure at work doesn't overthrow you. It is entirely normal to be pleased with success at work and entirely normal to be disappointed when things don't go your way. But there's also a strong temptation to make your success or your failure in your work an index of your worth as a person. Best case scenario, then, you are, this is the hope you have. You aren't too much of a jerk when you do well, and you don't spiral into too deep of a depression when you fail. That's your hope. The gospel gives you more hope. You can be the kind of person who keeps a humble heart in the midst of success, and the kind of person who keeps a strong security in the midst of failure. 
You can see the thorns and thistles as difficult, but not devastating. You can see the things that get accomplished, the successes, as enjoyable, but not everything. It doesn't overinflate you. Success and failure doesn't overthrow you. That's the hope. You have the hope to be that kind of person at work. Here's one more. The hope is that you're able to understand and see and really enjoy that God himself is at work. He's, he's in your work and he's in you. He's at work in, God is at work in your work. He's at work in and around you when you're at work. God himself is a part of your work, if you understand this. He works through you and in you while you're at work. He's part of your daily activities. He's developing you as a person as you, you deal with the various things you deal with when you're at work. You know, this is massive hope, not only for what you do at work, but for how work is a part of you growing as a person. Because God himself is involved in what you do in your own soul while you're working. Going to work at a difficult job does not mean God is waiting for you to grow spiritually after you clock out. God isn't waiting for you at the end of the day. It's in that job that God is at work. In your own soul, in growing you and making you who you are, as well as in the way he's providing for others influencing coworkers, being a part of the value of your work and all these different dimensions. Look, try anything else. Read books on work-life balance, wake up earlier so you can get more done, figure out how to do the, the four-hour work week, you know, whatever. Like, nothing else will fix your problems with work. Nothing else will open this hope but understanding the gospel. Understanding you are serving the Lord Jesus Christ. The gospel gives you hope that your work, despite your struggle, can be a place you find value and goodness in it. Um, and so you see what this means. You know, at, at the end of the day, and this we'll close right here, uh, your work becomes holistically Christian. Your faith does make, make you ethical. That's not all it does. It does open doors for evangelism. That's not all it does. It does make you, you know, kind to coworkers. That's not all it does. It does make you willing to, you know, do a good job and, and really exert yourself and, and excel in you. That's not all it does. It, it's all of it. And more, because you're working for the Lord Jesus Christ. He has made it so you can work from your soul. Is that how you work? Well, how do you apply it? How do you apply it? How do you take this? That's, those, there's the three ingredients. Here's the general answer Bible, the Bible gives for the gospel in your work. How do you apply it? That's what these breakout sessions are for. And so if, if you have uh, one of these schedules, if you don't, grab one uh, on the credenza out there. You can see uh, all the descriptions are right in here. We have something for everyone and usually more than one thing. There are three sessions. Some of them are uh, offered multiple times. This is the Choose Your Own Adventure Conference. So take a look. Uh, briefly, logistically, if you happen to be new, uh, the bathrooms are over there. Uh, go out the door to your right and then a left. Um, the Welcome Center is right behind you. It's in this room right through those doors. The Sanctuary, of course, is right here. And if you want to attend something in the library or the youth room, head down the steps, through the double doors right across from those steps and right down the hallway, you'll see two open doors with signs next to them. So that say, you know, library and, uh, and, and youth room. And you can head over there. Uh, the schedule's on here. Let me say a prayer for us and we'll head to our breakout session. You can get another muffin. Great Lord, bless us, we pray. Help us to work from our soul. Help us to see the size and the beauty of our Lord Jesus Christ and his work for us. And let that really transform and change how we approach our work uh, today and Monday and in the rest of our lives. Be with us, Lord. Help us to find rest in our work because you have given us rest in Jesus. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.